<laughs> yeah, what's going on, gang? What's going on? It's your boy Phantom Fuego. Why would you sacrifice knowing you could die with nobody by your side? Shout out to Sleepy Hollow, man. That record is fire. Um, this is his ghetto point of view, man. Bring you the news, views, previews, and reviews. But just the twist of his ghetto point of view. Ooh, 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 yeah, y'all know how it is, man. Y'all know what it is. You know how he does it. Thank you guys so much, as always, for popping in, toning in, bobbing out, rocking out. It's going to be a splendiferous show. Yeah, man, I'm in a good mood, and I hope you are in a better one. Um, what else is there to be said, man? We're going to take a quick break about commercial ting ting tings and we be gonna jump right into the shittos man this his got a point of view let's go <laughs> yeah we back gang we back as always guys any uh, questions, comments, uh, want to reach out, touch in, tap in, uh, you know where to reach us. You know where to reach me, his ghetto point of view at gmail.com. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. H I S G H E T T O P O I N T. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. Alright, gang, we're going to jump into our first story of the day, man. Stuff is, you know. We haven't talked to any sports in a minute. I want to talk some real serious spitadoids with the team. Hope y'all don't mind, man. For those who came here for the for the for the crazy. Oh, it's gonna get crazy. Oh, it's gonna get crazy. Um <laughs> Oh, so let's talk some NBA basketball, guys. I mean the season has been unrolling crazy season has been unrolling crazy um so many different storylines going on at the moment you got teams that thought they was going up and that have just collapsed um like the new orleans pelicans and uh zion williamson might be a big reason for the collapse of the team but even more so i think a precursor to zion williamson's collapse on the team was the loss of lonzo ball and i think the only reason Zion Williamson even tolerated, tolerated being a New Orleans Pelican was because he had one of the coolest point guards, one of the coldest, excuse me, point guards in the lane to set him up and make him look absolutely amazing. And I'm not saying they don't have decent point guards on New Orleans now, but pure point guards, pure point guards, floor generals, leaders, dudes that pride themselves in doing everything that is supportive of the rest of the team's players looking good. What do I mean? Passes. But not just a pass. Someone, when they pass the ball to you, it's some lightning on it. 
You heard that? You heard, that? You heard the sound effect? Come on. Yeah, I get sound effects here too. I'm, ain't, ain't this the fucking greatest show on the planet? Anyway, get the spin, spin on a ball. Like, let me see. Let me see if you get that. Get that spin on the ball. Boom. Hit you right in your chest. Boom. Hit you with a bounce pass. Boom. who makes it look effortless man absolutely effortless um someone who without question is putting the team's success above all and prioritizes these primary scoring options understands the plays Reads watches so much game film that that person knows the other team's plays. Because it's not just enough to know your team plays as the floor leader. You need to be able to know other teams' plays. You have to be playing so much ball at a cerebral level, understanding the nuances of the game, that when you get on any court, it is a pleasure to have you there because you literally, there's, there's literally nothing you aren't capable of doing. A pure point guard is very rare in any league, but especially rare in the NBA to be able to be. There are some pure point guards that are not capable of playing in the NBA because they're not athletic enough, they're not long enough, they don't. They can't guard that man. A bunch of things, you know. Um, they don't score enough in addition to their playmaking. So while they might be an insane passer, they don't pose enough of an offensive threat to be able to get the defense shifted in particular ways, shifted to the left, shifted to the right enough, so they can get those passes off. So when you find those, when you find that pure point guard, man, it's it's very it's imperative that you hold on to them because pure point guards lead to championships. Pure point guards lead to championship trophies because there are there are far more scorers. There are far more people who can put the ball in the basket. They can run a team, and who have the the ego. Because I think it takes an insane amount of ego to want to be that type of conductor. Now, it might not always come out like a dude like Lonzo. People be like, Lonzo, Lonzo ain't got no ego. I, I, I would disagree. I think he's quietly super egotistical. And um, it shows in the way he plays. You know what I'm saying? Like, he plays loudly. His passes are loud. His dunks are loud. His finishes are loud. His steals are loud. He makes other people feel loud and energetic on the court. He's not the only player in the league that does it. There are a few. Chris Paul, Chris Paul, Pat. Chris Paul plays loud. He plays the point guard at loudly. Yeah. 
loud, super loud. He's the point guard. You hear me? Players like that, man. You you don't lose those. Rajon Rondo even can still do it do it to a degree, man. He never was able to get his three point clip that high in the early point of his season, but he's been rounded it around now uh, in his later years. But uh, when you get those Chris Pauls, those Lonzo Balls, those Rondos, when you get those pure point guards who can guard their man, play the passing lanes, know the other team's plays, uh, can facilitate an offense, understands the X's and O's of the game, can really be the coach's liaison on the floor. And they athletic enough to play, play their position and play their man at a high level, at a fast pace. You don't lose those guys. Zion needs somebody who can run with him. Zion needs someone who can run with him. There are few players in the league that can run with him. Like Zoe could. Zoe grew up running them hills. Zoe grew up running them hills. Zoe grew up running them hills. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yeah, guys, so we're back. So, uh, story from SB Nation Zion Williamson's detached behavior from Pelicans ripped by former teammate JJ Reddick. Now, I saw JJ Reddick going in um, on Zion. Uh, <clears throat> I'll say it like this. I know some of that stuff is for the media. You know what I'm saying? Some of that stuff is so you can the way the way those those chairs, those revolving chairs work at those television shows is that you gotta be you gotta be making spicy takes. You gotta say things that can ripple out across other platforms and can give them narratives which they can spin. And if you don't do that, you're not gonna be called back frequently. But you see there's a balance that people like J.J. Reddick have to play because they got to find that fine line between being able to critique the players and not losing faith and contact in the industry. Because one of the dopest things about being a former player is you literally have the direct line to the majority of the players in the NBA. You might not have the direct line of everybody, but if you played in the league recently, you know how to get around the guys. You'll know a guy on somebody's team. You'll know an agent that somebody's around. You'll know somebody in on the coaching staff. You, especially a dude like Redick, who's played for a lot of teams, Played good minutes on a lot of teams, hit a lot of big threes in a lot of situ- clutch situations. Uh, did JJ Redick ever, ever get over the? I don't think he ever won a ring. I don't think he ever won a ring, but uh, I don't think that takes away anything from his resume. McDonald's like all American. He was a stone cold killer. So. 
but there's a fine line people like him have to walk between being able to get you the tea and still keep certain things secret, you know, not cross particular lines, particular barriers. And do I feel what he said about Zion was harsh? No, not really. I feel, you know, did he sensationalize it a bit? Of course. I mean, that's what J.J. Redick does. I don't think any of them are telling the truth. I think Zion just doesn't want to be in New Orleans. But I think that's been real. I think that writing has been on the wall since Zion got drafted by New Orleans. And he only tolerated it because of Lonzo. And uh, he only tired. He, he, he was cool with it if it was Zion and Zoe. But by himself. You don't care. Brandon Ingram ain't that guy. Like, I understand Brandon Ingram is nice. He's not <clears throat> a tran- transcendent point guard. Brandon Ingram can play the one a little bit. His primary passion is not passing you the ball. Brandon Ingram thinks he can score 100 points a game. And shit, maybe he can. I mean, he's long. He's lanky. He's athletic. He's got such a smooth game. Brandon Ingram is trying to be the superstar of his own team. He does not want Zion there. He wants a team built solely around him. He's like, get me a big man. Get me some shooters. Get me a point guard and let me go to work. He Or he feels maybe he can be the next Kobe Bryant to a degree where if you just get him a very dominant big man, him and a very dominant big man could go to work. I would love to see him and a big man like uh, DeAndre Ayton. Like if the Suns ever felt like moving on from Ayton, trade him to the Pelicans for a bunch of pieces and put Ayton and this dude together, put Ayton and Brandon Ingram together. I think Brandon Ingram would really go for that. And it'd just be him and, and because he knows then everything of with bringing the ball up, he could he could yo-yo the ball and do all the wild shit he want to do. And then he got this dominant big man who could just go to work on the block. I think Brandon Ingram would really go for some shit like that. Just him and a big man. And maybe like a nice, really pass first point guard that's not really looking to get his own numbers. Um, and that is some shooters. I think he'd be set. But... um. I don't know if they'd win much. I really don't know if they'd win much. Um, but I think it would be very interesting to watch. If the right coach, they could definitely win. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sold. <laughs> I'm not sold. I'm not buying season tickets. Not yet. Not yet. But anyway, I think Zion does not want to be. I don't think he ever wanted to be there. But uh, I think it... Uh, Became ever more prevalent when he got rid of his boy Zoe. So, the article could article goes to say Zion Williamson has not played a game this season for the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans opened the season during the media day by announcing Zion Williamson had surgery to repair a, fa- a fracture of the fifth metatarsal in his right foot during the offseason. At the time, New Orleans boss David Griffin was intentionally vague about when the former number one overall pick will return, telling reporters the timeline should get him back on the court in time for the regular season. 
Williamson was supposed to be practicing with the team by December, but that still hasn't happened. <laughs> As the league headed to the All-Star break, there was a report that Williamson may need a second surgery on his foot. New Orleans started 1-12 without Williamson, but they are 24, 22-24 despite since the since but they are 22-24 since they put themselves in, into position to make the play-in tournament in the Westland Conference. Pelicans added another big piece at the trade deadline by flipping a future first-round pick for CJ McCollum, but it but as it happened, ESPN's Brian Windhorst reported the team is not expected expecting Williamson back anytime soon. While Williamson has been rehabbing this his injury, there have been reports that he's been detached from the team. McCullum was interviewed on TNT during All-Star Weekend and said he had not spoken to Williamson. Former Pelicans teammate J.J. Redick now of ESPN used McCullum's comments as a jumping-off point to rip Williamson's behavior all season. Uh, to quote, this just shows a complete lack of investment in your team and your organization and your city, Redick said on ESPN. You just traded for one of the 50 best players in the league, a guy who's supposed to be paired with you. Reach out and say hello. This is a this is a pattern of behavior we're seeing with Zion. Redick described Williamson as a detached teammate when they were together on the Pelicans during the 2019-2020 season. Then he kept going. This is something I addressed with Zion in front of the team. This is going back to his rookie year. There's a responsibility that you have as an athlete when you play a team sport to be fully invested. You're fully invested in your body. You're fully invested in your work. You're fully invested in your teammates. That is your responsibility. We have not seen that from Zion. Crazy. Reddick also noted that the Pelicans didn't include Williamson in promotional material for next year's seasonal season ticket packages. It was startling to see Reddick rip into Williamson for several reasons. They're former teammates. They both went to Duke and they share the same agency with CAA. As Reddick and Stephen A. Smith continued their discussion about Williamson, both noted the rumors that Williamson doesn't. <clears throat> excuse me. Both noted the rumors that Williamson doesn't want to be in New Orleans long term. While Williamson hasn't demanded a trade from the Pelicans, there have been several reports that his eye has been wandering. He was reportedly bummed when the Knicks didn't land the number one pick in the 2019 draft on the night of the lottery. His face lights up whenever he's asked about Madison Square Garden. There have been rumors that his camp is unhappy with the direction of the team. No. Like they just said, he was bummed when the Knicks didn't get the number one pick. Zion wants to be in New York. Zion has always wanted to be in New York. Zion Williamson wants to be a Nick. That's it. That's it. Zion wants to be a Nick. Zion feels that his marquee name needs to be in the lights of Madison Square Garden. That's it. He feels he will make the most money, be able to compete for championships on the biggest stage in front of Spike Lee. That's what he wants. He wants to be in the garden. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. There's really nothing wrong with wanting to work where you want to work when you are that level of an athlete. But he's contractually obligated to New Orleans right now. I get his frustration, but it's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know? I guess what I, he figured out what the fuck he was going to do. He was just going to sit the fuck out. <laughs> he's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm Anthony Davison. 
Sheesh. As Williamson has been away from the team, his weight has ballooned reportedly up to 300 pounds. Uh, the Pelicans certainly started slow, but ever since this has been a really fun team, even without Williamson. Mm, they've been okay. Brandon Ingram keeps getting better as a primary scoring option. Jonas Valanciunas. Jonas Valanciunas is having another excellent offensive season with improved three-point shooting. McCullum gives the backcourt extra juice off the dribble. And as a shot maker, Herb Jones looked like arguably the steal of the NBA draft. Yeah, he is. He's really good. As an instant impact defender, the vibes could be really good in New Orleans right now. But Williamson's injury, injury, detached behavior, and persistent rumors about his future keep dominating headlines. Where smoke, there's usually fire in the NBA. It's certainly possible that Williamson would prefer to be in another market. Unfortunately, he's unlikely to become an unrestricted free agent anytime soon. He's going to force his way out. Next season will be the last year of his rookie deal, which means he's extension eligible. If he doesn't agree to an extension with the New Orleans, he would become a restricted free agent, which means the Pelicans have the right to match any contract he signs. His only way to becoming an unrestricted free agent is playing on the fifth-year qualifying offer, which almost never happens. Is Zion trying to force his way out of New Orleans with the way he's acting? It's, incredib- it's incredibly speculative su- su- to suggest so, but it won't stop everyone in the NBA from talking about it. He is leaving. He is leaving. He is leaving. It is what it is. He's leaving. I mean, what do you want? And in other stories, uh, Kyrie Irving's full-time return makes the Nets a contender again. You heard it. You heard it. You heard it. Kyrie Irving back, 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 back. <laughs> back into it, back into it. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows how much of a Kyrie fan I am. I don't even think that's something that's a debate or a question. Like, I'm one of the biggest Kyrie Irving supporters in existence, and it's been that way. Like, and I don't, like, he's been such a cerebral player. Like, you could argue the dude literally came straight out of high school into the NBA. Like, he literally played, like, seven or eight games for Duke. And that was it. And he had to sit the rest of the season. He was already the killer he was out of high school. Killed the killed the Catholic League in Jersey. Like, he was a problem. Like, there was nothing you could do with him. Offensively, defensively, he was a dog. He's always been a dog defensively. He came from good. He came from NBA stock. His father, Dredrick, played his God Pops, one of the most underrated ball players of all time, and Rod Strickland. <sighs> Legends. So this dude came from two killers with the rock. He got to learn all of that finesse. All of that. They taught him to be a problem from very young. Killer from day uno. 
Like it was, <laughs> it wasn't even a debate. He was gonna be, he was gonna be a worker. He, he understood the assignment. You understand me? He understood the assignment. <laughs> he understood the assignment, and um, he he's he's made the most of it. He's small. He's undersized. He's not the biggest. By any means, he has to play low and hard and fast at all times on the court. He has to play like he's out there to take your head off every single moment he is on the court. There is no there is no other alternative with Kyrie. It's a hundred well, nothing. And he's been very durable throughout his career as well. All this hate they get this man. They need to just shut the fuck up. SB Nation article. Kyrie Irving's full-time return makes the Nets a contender again. The Nets have a path to contention. If Kyrie Irving is going to be fully available. Uh, shouts to Ricky O'Donnell for this article. Kyrie Irving has only been available for about 23% of the Brooklyn Nets games this year. Regular Absence. His regular absence from the lineup is the biggest reason why his team went from the preseason title favorites to the number eight seed in the Western Conference at the All Star break. But they're still. This is that that is misleading because if you look in like the Vegas sports books, all the big sports books, the Brooklyn Nets are still favored to win the title. So that kind of doesn't make any sense. Irving's famous and ignorant refusal to get the COVID vaccine in New York City City's mandate for gyms which includes its two NBA arenas, was the perfect storm to crack the Nets championship foundation. But then the, the city reversed and said he could practice in their private facility. So, okay, Mr. O'Donnell, let me let me stop tearing your story apart. Let me just, let me just we're going to continue. James Harden reportedly grew tired of Irving's limited availability and demanded a trade to the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond replaced Harden, giving the Brooklyn Brooklyn a roster that's lighter on shot creation, perhaps more perhaps more versatile on both ends of the floor. I don't agree that it's lighter on shot creation. I think Seth Curry is an undergraded passer. Ben Simmons, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? This man is not a shot creator. What because he stopped? Andre Drummond, come on, y'all. Giving Brooklyn a roster that's lighter on shot creation, but perhaps more versatile on both ends of the floor. Extremely much more versatile. If the Nets are gonna have, going to re-emerge as a title threat this year, the first order of business was getting Irving available for every game. That's seemingly on the brink of happening as New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced New York City's vaccine mandate will soon be rolled back. The Nets look nothing like the team that was projected to win it all at the start of the year, but Irving becoming a full-time player would give Brooklyn a puncher's chance if a few other things fall into place. Yes, King Durant, healthy as paramount. He's been out since January 15th with a MCL, with a sprained MCL, <clears throat> and he'll need to be in his top form, which might be the top form in the world by playoff time. Simmons' integration into the lineup is also vital, and that seems like a far taller order given that he hasn't played a game this season. 
if the Nets really do have Irving back for every game, though, they're suddenly, <clears throat> excuse me, they're suddenly the outline of a team that can legitimately believe it can compete with, with any in the conference. Here's why the Nets getting Kyrie back to playing status is so important. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have always killed it together. The biggest reason the Nets were considered the preseason favorite is because their their offs their offense was completely unstoppable with Durant, Irving, and Harden together on the floor. Even though we barely saw it, subtract Harden from that mix, and Brooklyn's original superstar pairing of Kyrie and KD is still pretty damn good. I wholeheartedly agree. I don't think pretty damn good is the word. I I don't. <clears throat> Here's the thing. I love James Harden. James Harden is my guy. I think James Harden would have been happier on the Knicks. And to be honest, I'm very shocked that the Knicks didn't try to swing a trade for R.J. Barrett to go. <laughs> R.J. Barrett, like, just get, hey, take all our young pieces. R.J. Barrett, like, I think they, I think the Knicks would have honestly, if they knew they had a chance, they would have leveraged their whole future. Robinson, Barrett. They didn't get molding pieces. They didn't get molding pieces. I I think I don't even think they would have sneezed. They I don't think they I think they would have picked up the phone on the first ring. Jealous. I gotta wrap them around my diamond thing. I think the Nets have the Knicks wrapped around their damn finger. And if they would have you want huh? Who? Harden? What? All you niggas get on the train right now. <laughs> It wouldn't have even been a conversation of oh, we gotta go fly. Oh, you motherfuckers go get them get get them metro cars and get them the hell up. <laughs> get them all metro cars and get them up out of here. Go walk, walk the bridge. Go. Go now. Harden would have been a nick. Oh man, they would have gave up every single pick they had from now till 3060. I you don't understand this Knicks organization, man. You don't understand this Knicks organization. And I honestly think that R.J. Barrett on on the Nets would have been problems with KD and, Kev, and Kyrie. But <clears throat> I digress. R.J. is waiting for Zion, though. They know what they're doing. The, Net, the, Knicks, the Knicks have a plan. As long as Zion comes, it'll all work out. And if Zion comes, he can bring Bradley Beal. Now we, uh, now we getting scary. Now we, now we talking. But anyway, uh, the article continues. Yes, KD and Irving have played all three games, played all of three games together so far. So it's not much to go off. But there's still a solid track record with the pairing. Last season, the Nets played nearly 900 possessions with Kyrie at point guard and KD at the four, and they were plus 11.6 percent in net rating in those minutes. Over those minutes. Irving doesn't get enough credit for it being an extremely active off the ball, bending defenses with the threat of his movement, shooting, or finding creases to attack off the dribble. He's been a lethal catch-and-shoot threat throughout his career. Last year, he hit 43.4% off his spot-up threes on 3.1 attempts per game, which is a huge benefit for an offense with KD attracting so much defensive attention with the ball in his hands. Come on, man. Come on, man. Nets versus Philly. Eastern Conference Finals. I'm trying to see that. Let's go. 
If Kyrie was only going to be available for road games, Durant would feel like the only shot creator on the team when the Nets were home. Kyrie's full-time availability would mean Nash can stagger his stars to give every lineup shot creation and play them together when he wants to supercharge the offense at the end of games. Ben Simmons unlocks some super versatile lineup combos. It's fair to say that Simmons brings more questions than answers as he arrives to the Nets' bullshit. Yeah, questions like, oh my god, is this really happening? Did we just get really get Ben Simmons? Oh my god, I can't. Did, oh my god, did we really, really, really just get Ben Simmons? I mean, did we really, 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 really just get Ben Simmons? I think those are the only questions that should unlock. But the best case scenario with his introduction to the lineup is tantalizing. Use the word tantalizing. He knows. He fucking knows. He fucking knows. Talk about Ben Simmons like a steak, though. Hey, yo, pause. <laughs> Talk about him like a hunk of beef. <laughs> yo, chill, 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 Ricky. Chill, Ricky. Chill, Ricky. Chill, Ricky. <laughs> chill, chill, Ricky. <laughs> chill out, Ricky. All right. uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, Simmons is a serious talent. As a 6'11", 240-pound forward who's been an all-star in three of his four seasons, it's been easy to forget <clears throat> after his playoff meltdown against the Hawks. But Simmons finished second in Defensive Player of the Year last year by using his quickness and agility to put a lock on perimeter offense said players while holding up inside, while, while also holding up... What the... Holding up inside because of his... I think he's trying to say that he can also play very well in the interior here. Yeah, this article is not the best. Uh, I'm a, uh, let me see. Okay, okay. Uh, the article continues. The next arguably had a worse roster last year and still gave the Bucks hell in the playoffs, which is very true. If you're buying the Nets as a title contender, you're buying into Durant's abil- avail- ability to get back to his peak level and for that level to be as high or higher than any player alive while i'd argue Giannis Antetokounmpo and Nikola Jokic are the two best players in the world right now Durant's absolute peak gives him the ability to compete on that level okay he proved it in last year's playoffs when KD almost dragged the Nets past the eventual champion Bucks, despite Irving and Harden being out or limited by injuries for basically the entire series. Durant had multiple instant classic performances. Game 5, he dropped 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, and 5 blocks. And 5 stocks, excuse me, steals plus blocks. While playing every second, Game 7, he dropped 48 points in 53 minutes and not coming off the floor. Mm-mm-mm. Kyrie Irving's playing status was perhaps the flimsiest of any... Well, yo, bro, I don't even like this art. Why are you talking about people like this? Yo, bro, you get paid to do this? You happy with yourself, Ricky O'Donnell? 
You happy with yourself? You happy with your life? I think you need to chill out, bro. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> Change up the pace a bit, guys. We back, we back. Change up the pace a bit. Uh, Coin Telegraph: How to trade crypto using Bitcoin dominance. Mm, something that's very important, guys. Uh, volume, volume is one of the key indicators and what's going on in the market. Um, and you can use uh, how much volume in the, is in the market and how much. Uh, of that volume is dominated by Bitcoin itself versus how much of that uh, money that is flowing in and out the market is going to uh, all two other coins, old coins, as they would say, um, to kind of like uh, gauge where things are going. It's very interesting. Let's see what this article says. Bitcoin dominance can directly affect altcoins by displaying the market's trading volume and Bitcoin versus altcoins. Bitcoin, uh, which is ticker is BTC, is both the first and most prominent cryptocurrency in the world when it comes to the market capital, when it comes to market capitalization, as well as trading volume. These factors are quite significant, considering that all cryptocurrencies trade against Bitcoin and Bitcoin's dominance can usually serve as a valuable indicator when trading all different types of cryptocurrencies. This post will offer insight on how to trade cryptocurrency while utilizing the Bitcoin dominance indicator and how to read the dominance indicator dominance index chart overall what is the bitcoin dominance chart bitcoin dominance is uncovered by comparing bitcoin's market capitalization to cap to the capitalization of the entire crypto market the higher bitcoin's market capitalization the more bitcoin dominance is at play and we have the answer to the question what percentage of crypto market what percentage of the crypto market is bitcoin The Bitcoin dominance trading view chart showcases these numbers in a clear percentage format where one can take a quick glance and understand if Bitcoin dominance is at 40% or 60%, for example. That said, users can also view the real Bitcoin dominance index, which calculates Bitcoin dominance only against proof of work coins aiming to become a form of money. The logic behind the real Bitcoin dominance index is that many altcoins, such as stablecoins, aren't aiming to compete with Bitcoin, and so it may paint a more realistic long-term view on Bitcoin's dominance. Mm. These, so for those that don't know, stablecoins, they're trying to be pegged to the value of a dollar. Uh, so, for example, the value of a particular currency, not the value of a dollar, but the value of a particular a particular currency or a dollar in a particular currency as it were so there are coins that are trying to be pegged to the digital yuan coins that are trying to be pegged to the british pound uh frank and yes coins that are trying to be pegged to the united states dollar which is uh called the usdc um and uh, how that will relate to when people get the city coins it's going to be very interesting. So the the wallets that people will have will have to allow them to be able to fully uh, interact with coins across a variety of places, which I'm sure they've figured out already. This is this is going to be crazy. This is this is really going to be interesting. But anyway, 
How does Bitcoin dominance affect altcoins? Bitcoin dominance can directly affect altcoins as it showcases how much of the market's trading volume is in Bitcoin versus how much of the trading volume is in altcoins. Generally, if the dominance is up, then traders recommend one. Then traders recommended one has more of their crypto holdings in Bitcoin than in altcoins. If Bitcoin dominance is down, traders recommend one holds more altcoins than they do Bitcoin. Ah, okay. So it's saying if Bitcoin's dominance is up, then you should put more of your money in Bitcoin. But if Bitcoin's dominance is down, then you, traders recommend one holds more of their in altcoins than they do Bitcoin. Hmm. While it's wrong to say Bitcoin dominance is an exact representation of a bull or bear market, there are correlations between these definitions. For example, bull markets might lead to lower Bitcoin dominance as funds are typically pouring into altcoins at the same time. Hmm. Wow. During times of lower Bitcoin dominance, they suggest this. Some of the the traders they're they're they claim some they claim traders are suggesting to hold money in altcoins. Hmm. Conversely, bear markets might see higher Bitcoin dominance as traders might be pulling their funds out of altcoins and putting money into Bitcoin since it's more of a reliable asset. Says some enthusiasts might may, might say that lower Bitcoin dominance is a good thing, as it means the crypto market is expanding and funds are flowing through all sorts of projects instead of just Bitcoin. But it's also worth capital. But it's also worth noting that the total crypto market capitalization will take pre-mined and forked coins into its value, meaning old coins count counts might be artificially inflated. Mm. Wow. Okay. Okay. Good to know. One should also consider the fact that Bitcoin dominance can decrease even when the asset's price increases. This can occur when money is pouring into the crypto market with Bitcoin included, though more money might be moving into altcoins than the world's largest cryptocurrency. The point is, while Bitcoin dominance might paint the crypto market a certain way on a surface level, there are various factors to consider to gather an informed view. Sometimes dominance might be down due to a short-term altcoin boom, while other times the entire market might be bleeding money. It's always best to do additional research before making an investment decision. How to trade dominance. There are multiple factors to consider when attempting to trade dominance. Uh, first, understand that Bitcoin dominance can go down if interest is high, even in, an, even in one altcoin. This interest in a single altcoin doesn't mean that every altcoin will experience upward trends, the market may take some time to correct itself. It all, it's also best to consider the intent of some popular altcoins and whether or not that intent will translate into a lasting impact on the altcoin market. For example, we might see a stablecoin experience a significant uptick in volume for the time being. However, users might invest, a, invest in said stablecoin simply to move some funds over to Bitcoin, as stablecoins can be an easy way to on-ramp funds into the crypto industry. This is very true. As a result of this activity, Bitcoin's dominance could quickly drop and rebound, impacting short-term trades negatively. 
another factor that could lead to unpredictable short-term drops or rises in Bitcoin dominance is fear of missing out FOMO. New coins enter the crypto market all the time. Some of these new coins entering the market generate a ton of hype that results in hundreds of thousands of dollars flowing into the altcoin side of things and disproportionately lowering Bitcoin's dominance. However, many new altcoin projects often lose their hype or or even end up being a scam, causing users to pull their funds pull to pull out their holdings as fast as they input them. In that case, Bitcoin's dominance might rise back to its original place. One should also consider the extremes of Bitcoin's dominance ratio. For example, Bitcoin dominance used to be at over 90% before altcoins entered the market. Duh, that would that would only make sense. What other coins was it competing against? Or what other coins would there be to take resources away? However, enthusiasts note that Bitcoin's dominance is unexpected to hit that number again to the, due to the prevalence of altcoins in today's market. But there won't be all these altcoins. Eventually, there will only be a few coins uh, but it, it is impossible to say for sure, as if countries follow El Salvador's implement Bitcoin as legal tender, Bitcoin's dominance may rise. Once again, Bitcoin's dominance will rise because a lot of these old coins, literally 90% of these coins, guys, will not be around in five years. They will only be the coins that will take, will have massive utility that will go and, you know, really have utility for things like robots and drones applications to use in the fourth industrial revolution uh, metaverse applications um as they as these verse applications as as they try to get those verses to talk which would make then a metaverse um all of the coins that will actually be good for that will still be around and then other coins will be created for the specific purpose of the fourth industrial revolution and going onward into the fourth industrial revolution providing the utility that that new society will need or that society that is uh slowly creeping upon us i should say <laughs> i'm silly y'all uh article big uh this coin telegraph article continues in fact dominance is much more likely to hit new lows than new highs as all coin projects continue to gain popularity across the mainstream as a result, traders should note when Bitcoin dominance is trending toward an all-time high, as that could mark a good threshold in which Bitcoin dominance may see resistance. Hmm. Good to know. Good to know. Conversely, users should keep an eye on Bitcoin dominance reaching toward new lows and how an altcoin market might, and how the altcoin market is reacting as a result. Good to know. Good to know. Um, very good information in this article, guys. Um, article continues. What happens when Bitcoin dips? Dumb, dumb, dumb. You buy the dip. Now, let me stop. I'm not your financial advisor, but most of the time with Bitcoin dips, guys, if you're in Bitcoin, you buy the dip. Uh, Bitcoin price dips could mean, could, could mean a lower dominance and that users are moving funds away from Bitcoin into altcoins. 
but a price dip can also have little to do with dominance as a whole. If Bitcoin dominance drops, users might certainly expect an altcoin bull run and can trade accordingly. That said, Bitcoin price dip could occur if users are pulling funds out of all cryptocurrencies, resulting in a lower crypto market capitalization overall. In this case, Bitcoin dominance may remain at a certain percentage despite traders' anticipation of a potential bear market. Oh, so if market money gets pulled out of the entire market all at once, uh, and it, so it kind of leaves everything at the levels it was, then Bitcoin's dominance, of course, would remain the same because all of the, the entire market got uh, funds withdrawn, uh, has, has less uh, market cap at that point. The, the entire market was collectively drawn down. So that makes sense. This is this is this example is an essential reminder that Bitcoin dominance shouldn't be the only tool that a trade at a trader's disposal, rather one of the many to examine before making a trade. The impact of a Bitcoin crash on the crypto market, dun dun dun. Dominance aside, a significant Bitcoin price price crash has historically has historically often led to an overall market crash. Though few exceptions exist, this correlation between Bitcoin and a market crash. Simp is simply because Bitcoin is the world's first cryptocurrency and all crypto assets trade against it. Look at it this way. If a country considers banning Bitcoin and the price drops significantly as a result, traders and speculators might lose confidence in altcoins as well and pull their funds, funds from these and pull their funds from these alternative investments. That said, a Bitcoin crash doesn't always mean an overall market crash. There are multiple occasions where Bitcoin suffers a significant price drop, while Ether remains more stable. It's important to remember that different assets serve different purposes, and the downtrend of one may not correlate to the downtrend of another. In fact, as time goes on and all coins break into the mainstream consciousness, future Bitcoin crashes might have less and less of an effect on the overall market. Bitcoin dominance matters now because it's still the most popular cryptocurrency in the world. If other coins begin to take that mantra away from Bitcoin, dominance will matter less and less. And some of these game coins have the potential to do that. Some of these game coins have the potential to do that. Very good article. Very good article. Very interesting. Of course they are. <sighs> of freaking course. Um. <laughs> wonderful article, gang. Wonderful article. We'll take a quick break. We'll jump right back in. And we back, and we back, and we back. As always, gang, anybody that wants to reach out to us, his ghetto point of view at gmail.com. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. And some dope music news. 
Twitch is offering guaranteed monthly payments to streamers. Here's how uh, article courtesy of Digital Music News. Shouts to Ashley King. She's doing amazing, amazing work for Digital Music News. I see you, Shouty. Anyway, Twitch is aiming to give streamers guaranteed revenue streams with its ads incentive program. Making a living by streaming games, your music, or any other form of entertainment can be hard. Making a live, much like live touring, if you're not doing it every night, you're not making much money. Twitch is hoping to address some of the burnout fatigue that top earning streamers report on the platform. The ads incentive program will offer certain creators a flat payout. Here's how it works. How the Twitch ads incentive program works. At launch, the program is only available to select creators. Twitch says it will present those creators with personalized offers of a flat payout for a certain number of hours streamed. One, stream for the specific number of hours, run ads with your stream while live, receive a flat revenue payout. Pretty simple. Okay. Seems pretty simple and straightforward enough. Twitch says the goal is to offer its creators a predictable monthly income through ads with no ceilings on earnings potential. The ad incentive program only contains special scheduling tools for ad insertion. Once you set your ad schedule via ads manager, you're done thinking about ads and you can focus on making awesome content with your community. The official blog post reads, if you're a Twitch streamer, you'll you'll know if you have an incentive offer in the ads manager dashboard. If you accept the offer, simply streaming the required number of hours will grant the incentive for the month. Streamers will continue to earn their normal ad payout rate for any additional hours broadcast during the month. Twitch says the ads incentive program is only available for select partners and affiliates at the moment. It hopes to expand the program with additional offers to help creators streamline the money they're making online with a reliable income. It is an interesting ploy on Amazon's part to keep people streaming on Twitch. With Instagram Reels and TikTok becoming so popular, many non-gaming creators are set up to live stream on those platforms. Guaranteed ad revenue for a certain number of hours streamed can also help the guests take the guesswork of how much monthly payments will be from month to month too. That's true, and that's very dope. <sighs> trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. So instead of paying $200, Kanye fans wrote a Steam player emulator to pirate down to two because they are pieces of shit. Kanye asked his fans to pay $200 to enjoy Donda. They instead turned to piracy. The famed rapper has a bit of a reputation as being a hype man as of late, so even the most hardcore fans were skeptical that Donda 2 would drop on time, given how the release for Donda went. In true Kanye fashion, he's a few days late, but Donda 2 is now available exclusively on the stem player. The problem is the $200 price tag attached to the device that is seemingly for Kanye's, Kanye's music only for now. But it's not. It clearly came out that it's for several players. So it's a bit of a misleading line. The tech behind the stem player 
It's pretty simple too. It uses an artificial intelligence model like Spleeter to separate audio into four distinct sounds called stems. Spleeter can deliver stem audio separation for vocals, drum, bass, and other sounds. Sound familiar? The hockey puck designed by Kano Labs is basically a four-way volume nub for these custom engineered sound stems. Okay, Kanye's biggest fans pretty much proved that the theory after Donja 2 dropped earlier today. Fans on Reddit wrote a simple Python script to trick the stemplayer.com website into thinking a device is connected to it. It then downloads the separated WAV files to a person's computer as if it were a stem player. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. That is crazy. Oh man, it didn't take long for other fans to write stem player, write a stem player player emulator, so now a PC can manipulate these individual files as one. The result is that Donda 2 isn't on any music streaming service, but it can easily be heard online in the right circles. The exclusivity for the music is likely hurting Kanye more than it is helping him sell stem players. That's especially true if he missed out on Apple Music's live stream because of the ex exclusivity. Donda sets new records on Apple Music when it dropped on August 2021. It reached the number one spot on Apple Music's top album chart in 152 countries in just 24 hours. Donda was streamed over 60 million times in the United States during that first day release, so Kanye gave up millions by literally by asking his hardcore fans to plunk down 200 on an experimental volume control puck for his demo reels. You guys are being a little hard on Kanye. I think what he's trying to do is take the industry in a different way. And um, I actually kind of have respect for what he's trying to do. Uh, more music news. Megan Thee Stallion is suing her label once again <sighs> for the second time in two years. Uh, of course, courtesy of Digital Music News. Uh, Megan Thee Stallion is suing her label 1501 Entertainment again. This is the second lawsuit in two years. The latest lawsuit alleges that the label is refusing to allow her to fulfill the terms of her contract. She seeks a ruling that her something for the hotties meets the legal definition of an album. The collection debuted in, in November 2021 with loose singles and B-sides, but they're, but they're all original productions, not a mixtape. Megan Thee Stallion claims her label informed her two months after the release of Something for the Hotties that it did not meet the definition of an album as defined by her recording agreement. She argues that the only parameter defining an album under the contract is run length. An album must be 45 minutes long. Something for the Hotties is 45 minutes and two seconds long. The rapper is sealing a non-monetary de declaratory judgment uh, that the record meets the definition of Oh, the rapper is seeking, they wrote ceiling here, seeking a non-monetary declaratory judgment that the record meets the definition of an album and, an, and any attorney fees as a result of the case. So she don't want any money. She just wants them to say, yeah, this, this meets the album because she just wants out of this deal so she can go sign out a different label that would satisfy her current contract under 5101 Entertainment. They they like, nah, we trying to get one more album out of her before she get out of here. 
Megan Thee Stallion has, has minced few words about her feelings on her current label. In March 2020, she took to Instagram Live to discuss the contract. She admits she didn't understand what the contract consisted of when she signed the label. When she asked to renegotiate, the label declined. Following that, the rapper sued the label, seeking termination of her contract. A judge granted a temporary restraining order that allowed her to release Sugar. In August 2021, she sued her label again over the BTS remix, Butter. In an interview with Billboard in March, after March 2020, after the March 2020 lawsuit, 1501 label boss Carl Crawford, you know, who's formerly played in the MLB, says he outsources his business operations to a third party. I'm new to a business. I'm new to the business. I let this guy T. Ferris run my whole business because I knew absolutely nothing about it. Zero. Megan Thee Stallion is also starring in a new musical comedy, Effin Identical Twins. The film is a spinoff of The Parent Trap. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the movie follows two business rivals who realize they are identical brothers and decide to switch places to reunite their divorced parents. Okay. I guess. <laughs> and uh, lastly, one thing just to know, guys, TikTok is really, really important to the industry right now. Um, big Machines. Scott Porchetta, the, my last three hires of our able are of our label are people who are working TikTok. <sighs> Artists, if you're not on TikTok, if you're not taking more advantage of TikTok, it is time. It's time. It's been time. It's really been time. But I think it just continues to show how it's helping artists, you know, take their career to the next level. Big machine topper Scott Porchetta isn't convinced that TikTok is good to find a new talent. So why is he hiring TikTok specialists? If you know the inner workings of TikTok, you might want to send Big Machine Label Group CEO Scott Borchetta an email. We've got to be where the people expect us. People, Borchetta declared at the country radio seminar in Nashville on Friday. If you're on TikTok, we need to be there. My last three hires of our label are people who are working TikTok. Borchetta's staff isn't entirely surprising given the hyper growth of TikTok and its sudden importance within the music industry, but Borchetta is actually skeptical of the platform's ability to, to find serious talent. And some people have been making that conversation lately, just to pause on this. Um, sometimes the focus on being a TikToker can kind of take you away from music, and you can find a lot of fans in TikTok, but it might be not be fans that are necessarily into your music if you really start to lean away from music related content into doing more memes and stuff but it's good to have some memes up there and balance it out but you know definitely a lot of music related content as well or memes that incorporate your music as much as possible that skepticism is reflected in who Borchetta isn't hiring after hearing urgent pitches from big machine staffers to sign tiktok artists who weren't blowing up Borchetta said that he'd let them get signed elsewhere not any of those that got signed to big deals have worked. Borchetta said, not one of them. Not yet. I'm not saying it won't, but not one of them yet. I'm not including Fancy Like. That was a huge moment. Walker Hayes, God bless him. He's been doing this for a long time. Everyone's very excited about that. But he had been working on that. I'm talking about a brand new artist who got a big deal because of TikTok in that moment. Perhaps Borchetta, Borchetta's words are landing like with a thud. Soberingly, 
It remains to be seen if a bona fide superstar emanates from TikTok. In the country world, Priscilla Block is the TikTok sensation du jour, though there's a huge difference between getting signed to a major label and actually building a successful career, all of which introduces a real game being played up there. All of which, excuse me, all of which introduces the real game being played here. The real game being played here. Instead of scouting TikTok for viral blowups, Big Machine is taking a push approach. We're using the we're we're used to wagging the dog. The dog is wagging us. Prochetta said while describing a new internal star team within Big Machine, ostensibly the focus of this team is to push and grow content, not to find it. Hmm. Okay. So they'll take the artists they have and make them bigger on TikTok. That's dope. That's dope. So what's the takeaway on TikTok in early 2022, despite the heavy hype? It's difficult, it's difficult to call this a real A&R vehicle, at least not yet. It's just too early to tell. But a serious promotional platform that's obviously being recognized by Borchetta, who's tripling down on promoting and growing content on TikTok, just not so much on sourcing it. Very dope, guys. Very dope. Take a quick. We'll take a quick break, gang. We'll be right back. Sure. <laughs> yeah, gang, it's been a really dope episode. It's been a really dope episode. As always, any questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, you got somebody dope you think we should interview. A dope film we should check out, dope album we should be looking into, dope project being worked on, a uh, new coin that's about to drop, a new platform that's popping, a new app that's emerging. Let us know, man. Let us know. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much. You guys are great. See you soon. You can always also get in tune with us on Instagram. We did, man. Holla at us, HGPOV, His Ghetto Point of View Podcast, or His Ghetto Point of View Show. Check us out. We got three, four pages up there. You'll see them. Tap in. Get in tune. Let me know. Hit me links. Peace.